What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the 59th episode of WT Fought a Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Ron. And if you haven't figured it out yet, my name is John. That's right. That is, those are our, our names. It's the most important piece of information. Right. Also, uh, we apologize for any background noise, um, but we are actually on an airplane right now. It's pretty cool. Doing a little bit of traveling, airfares cheap. International. International, yeah. We're going to uh, Ireland, as it were, to see our fans. And we get a lot of fan mail from Ireland. A lot of people, big fans of the show. Yes. We figured we'd come out and we would do a live podcast in Ireland. Yeah. And, you know, the people that are part of our Patreon there. Yeah, we have an Irish Patreon. That's why we we didn't announce it. Right, yeah. Yeah, that we're doing this. All members of our Patreon get in for free. We're going to hang out. People are being required to wear masks. Oh, we're taking off. Do you feel that? I don't know, because when you're in the sky, it's not, like, a big thing, but, like, when you're on the ground and, like, things are going by fast, it, like, fucks with me. Well, this is why you should have given me the window seat. Yeah, but I fucking, I I like to look, though, when I'm up high, but I don't, when it's, when I'm too close to the ground, it freaks me out, all right? I think we're good. I think, are we all right? Are we all right? Yeah, just make sure you put your seatbelt on. You're going to yell that. I didn't, I didn't do it. I never wear it. I never... Alright. I feel like we're good. You feel like we're good? Yeah, we're good. S- smoothing out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit better. Seatbelt lights are off. It's going to be over the uh, over the water for like a long time. How long is this flight? Jesus, I think six or seven hours. Six or seven hours? Fucking crazy. And we have to catch a connecting flight in uh, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> I hope that's not true. I don't feel like going down. Yeah, I'm uh, only at that. I don't know where you got that information from. No, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> um, so how you've been? How have you been? I've been good. Yeah. It's transitioning to fall, so common cold symptoms are common, if you will. Yes. And. You know, what you know about cold symptoms is they're the exact same symptoms of COVID-19. So it's an alarming time. Yeah. But I caught a cold earlier this week. I'm feeling much better, though. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not COVID. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I I get fucked up. Like, when COVID first started, I was, um, it was, like, right at the start of, like, the initial allergy season here. So, like, I started getting feeling really fucking weird. And uh, I didn't know what was going on. I took allergy meds. And then all of a sudden, all of the symptoms that I had went away. And I was like, oh, it was allergies. Um, and I know right now some things are starting to, like, bloom again. So I'm kind of having that same sort of, um, you know, the, the stuffy nose and, you know, minor allergy symptoms. I took allergy meds and they went away again. So I think I'm good. Yeah. I don't usually get allergies. If I did, I'd never did anything about them. <laughs> I just let yeah. it ride. 
Well, you might just be under the impression that you just don't feel good. Like, I, w- I went and got, like, an actual hour de- test when I was little. Oh, did you? Because they were suspicious. They wanted to know exactly, like, how many things I was allergic to. Uh-huh. Um, so they tested me for 40 things, and I was really nervous because I had a cat and a, and a dog. And I didn't want to have to, like, get rid of my cat and dog or something, right? So they tested me for 40 things, and I was allergic to 38 no real. shit. Really? 38 of them. And guess which two I wasn't allergic to? Cats and dogs? Yeah. Nice. Cats and dogs. Fucking That's crazy. the big man up in heaven there looking out for you. That's right. This is the like, only thing he's done for me. Can, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Peanut butter, but you can pet a cat. Yeah. He was like, I can't, I can't have them get rid of his cat and dog. It'll take away the pain of me killing them. Yeah. <laughs> he's a real sick bastard. I should probably get an allergy test. I, I've, I'm not allergic to anything as far as I know. Mm. The only thing which is weird, when I got my appendix out, they uh, they tried telling me I was allergic to, I think they told me latex or something, I don't know, with like, what they were doing. That I got like a rash I use latex on you all the time. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. I don't know if it's, huh. yeah. Well, it's, it's a conversation for that. Ron, do you want anything from the snack tray? She's coming up. Uh, does she, is there peanuts? Yeah, can we get some peanuts? Uh, I'll take a bag of chips and uh, a Jack and Coke, please. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get me a... Sneak me in like a, a little extra nip there. I get a little nervous on flights. Ron, you want a drink? Um, yeah, sure. The crinkle. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Just pass me the uh, yep. crinkle. Yep. Yeah. This? There you that's go. Good. Thank you. All right. All right. Oops, sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. This very large man in the middle seat here next to us, sleeping. It's hard to pass. Drinks looks, over. He looks like um. He looks like that fucking guy from Lost. Which one? The guy that plays, uh, the guy that played Hurley? That's what he looks like. That guy, huh? Jorge Garcia? Is, is that his name, name in real life? Wasn't he on, like, that, that new, um, that new cop show? That, that comedy cop show? I don't know. That's what I don't know. Awesome. I feel like I want to wake him up and ask him. I have no idea what, yeah. what show he's talking about. Well, it's a, it, it was a show that was on in, uh, like, in the, uh, you know, the early 2000s. Turn it off? Yeah. Why? What's up? I think people are coming over here. Okay. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's a it's a free plane. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. That, that uh, I remember... He's been in a couple of things, but I don't really remember all of what he... What he starred in. But he does look like him. The whole, like, the shorts ensemble and the headphones. He even has a, he doesn't have the Green Lantern comic. We'll have to ask him when he wakes up. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Whatever. Um, so, yeah. What have you been up to, man? Anything else? Other than the common cold? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Instead of watching Cobra Kai... Cobra Kai. You ever hear? That's like the sequel to the Karate Kid. <laughs> Kinda. Kinda it's sorta. Like a, it's like a futuristic version of Karate Kid. It's where they are, like in present times. I don't know if you're a fan of the Karate Kid. I didn't really care all that much for it, to be completely honest with you. But I yeah. heard Bill Burr talking about it and how awesome it is, and I heard about it when it was on YouTube a few years ago. I figured I'd check it out, and dude, it's fucking awesome. Is it? Yeah. Even if you're not a fan of Karate Kid. But did you watch the you watch the old movies? Yeah, a while ago. Okay, but 
Are they it's integral like, to your knowledge of the show? Like, you, you gotta, yeah, one hundred percent. Well, you know, you, you hear about. <clears throat> I mean, not necessarily you hear about it, but you know, basically, if you like really look at the movie, um, the main character Daniel is actually like the bad guy. <laughs> Yes, the dickhead. I, it's like I a did a fifteen-minute video that kind of breaks through it. And it's funny because they make a lot of reference to that. Yeah, in the show. I thought it was an interesting idea because from what I saw of the trailers for that, it looks almost like like he obviously loses. It's a kid running up the aisles of this plane. Uh, they should put the seatbelt sign back on. Uh, anyway, they. Uh, it seems like he loses in the original story, right? I mean, obviously, he's the villain, mm-hmm. right? And this is, like, however many years in the future, and he's, you know, still kind of sore over having lost. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't let go of it. It's been, like, 40 years. <laughs> no yes, big no, deal. There's still a bit of a rivalry there, and it's, it's funny, because it's... Most of, like, the rivalry that's going on is not even, like, between... Danny and Johnny. It's like things that like people that are around them kind of do to like provoke each other. It's weird. Yeah. It's really good. It's really funny. Really well put together. I'd recommend it. That's cool. I'm a big fan of karate. Yeah. I've been uh, I've been kind of all locked into like a bunch of different things. Like uh, mostly podcast stuff. I've been watching Doctor Who for What's the Story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's alright. I'm kind of like, I go back and forth. There are times where I'm like, this is really good. And then there are times where I'm like, I don't really care about this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope Kayla doesn't hear this. <laughs> She'd be talking. No, I mean, it, it's it's not that I don't care. It, like, I like it. I'm, I'm speaking out of turn. Like, I, I like the show. But there are times where I do find, like, some of the hard sci-fi stuff is, like, difficult. for. It's the same way I feel about fantasy. Mm-hmm. Fantasy stuff. You tell me, like... The characters are related to this person, that person, this person. And they're talking about all this lineage and all this stuff. And I just don't... It doesn't connect with me. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and sometimes hard sci-fi does the same thing where I kind of disconnect from it, mm-hmm. you know? But Yeah, I never really was interested in Doctor Who. Yeah. I have friends that are. They, they swear by it. It's better than you would think. Really? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a lot better than you think. And the Doctor, like... I don't know what it is, but I always just picture him as, like, a pushover. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know, I, I look at, like, the promo art and stuff, and I'm like, wimp. That dude's a wimp, you know? And that's, like, the that's the kind of vision that I have of him. And then in the context of the show, it's like, nah, he's one of the most dangerous people in the universe. And the way that they play with that is pretty cool. Like, there are moments that actually feel like a Western, mm-hmm. where he basically is, like, laying down the law, and he's like... You know, if you start, there was a line in one of the episodes I just watched where he was like, if you start talking about genocide, then you and I become enemies, and you do not want me as your enemy. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that type of, like, I like those characters that carry with them the sense of, like, you know, toughness, yeah. sense of attitude, you know, and the sense that they're, like, rep reputations precede them, you know? Seems like everybody that realizes that he's the doctor, they're like, oh god, you know, like tread lightly. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's pretty cool. Um, had a couple things though, uh, so filming on the Batman recommenced this week, which is cool, after Robert Pattinson's COVID-19 scare. Is he COVID-free now? It, it would appear, yeah. 
Good for him. And apparently enough of the crew has been cleared as well that they're good to go. So that's exciting. Tenet has made two hundred million dollars. They've done well. Yeah. They've done well. Yeah. And that was a that was a while ago that that was announced, so it's probably gone past that now. And I mean, given the circumstances and how few people are actually like risking going to the movies, mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive. Those are pretty good numbers during a pandemic to break in two hundred million dollars. I'm I'm kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect that to happen either. AMC started opening up their theaters. Right, and I went to like restart my AMC Stubbs membership, and then it said that all the theaters that in Massachusetts, their food and drinks are temporarily unavailable. And uh, man, that is half the reason to go to the movies is getting some popcorn. So I, we need this to say, I'm not going to spend 23 bucks a month to go see a couple of movies because they're not going to be putting anything in the theaters anyways. Dude, there's got to be a way to serve popcorn. I would, I would think. But I guess Massachusetts is different, like, because we went to see Tenet and Bill and Ted in Pelham, New Hampshire. Oh, and I think the New Hampshire guidelines are different. Right. So they're that's like, right. we, you know, we're okay with you eating in the theater, but apparently Massachusetts doesn't want that to be a thing. And I guess I understand it, but at the same time, I'm like, I just want some popcorn, you know? Not, nothing against Chunkies, but their popcorn game is not the best in town, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like carnival barker popcorn like what you get at like a, a county fair that rolls through every yeah. every year we all go to chunkies for popcorn but chunkies for the wizard of mozzarella sticks the wizard of mozzarella sticks is definitely definitely a good reason Wait, wizard of mozzarella 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 i don't know mozzarella they should have like a pronunciation thing underneath of it because i'm not sure yeah mozzarella mozzarella aussie aussie rella aussie Aussie Rella? Or the Matrix Reloaded Chicken Sandwich. The Matrix Reloaded Chicken Sandwich, yes. That's one of those ones that it feels like they didn't try. They were like, movie title and then item of food. There you go. Um, Also, I read something that was weird. Uh, I guess Gal Gadot had to run as fast as Usain Bolt in Wonder Woman 1984. Uh And keep in mind that she's like a foot shorter than him. She's apparently assisted by wires. I don't know how much assistance happened, but still, I'm pretty impressed. She had to run as fast as him? Yeah, for a particular scene, she had to, like, all out, like, as fast Sprint. as the fastest man alive. Pretty pretty incredible. And she did I, it? She did it, and I don't know, like I said, they said wires were assisting her down the street, but I don't know how fast they were assisting her yeah i don't know if they were just kind of holding her up and making sure that she didn't fall or anything or if they were like actually whipping her down the street and she was like i ran as fast as usain bolt you know i have no idea (laughs) well you know what she was part of those that group of celebrities that you know when the pandemic first happened and they sang john what was it um john lennon's uh imagine imagine yeah yeah well every single person that video has lost all credibility to me so they can all just fucking die <laughs> no, Man, she ain't gonna whip that one down, huh? Dude, Jesus Christ! I think it was her idea too. Yeah, it was. It I think she was. wanted to like try to create like a sense of community, but it is—it is like kind of a—you have to have the right, the right optics. If a celebrity is telling you, imagine no possessions, it's like I, I don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to right. have no possessions. Thank you. Yeah, like, they're good. They got money. They got fucking plenty to do. On the other hand, 
she had a tremendous singing voice. So there's that. I'll give her that. I'll give her the credit for it's that. One of my favorite things to say after somebody says something terrible about like <laughs> Stalin or something. It's like, yeah, true. Fine. Lots of people starved, but also, yeah. have you heard the man sing? Yeah. <laughs> I need another Jack and Coke, because... You're really tying them on. Yeah, man. We haven't even made it to, like, the motherland here. Well, now I'm all fired up. Well, you're upset. Fucking I get it. douchebag celebrities. Well, you know what it is? It's like, I, I get the, uh... I get... I, I, I understood the intent, but yeah, it does... It did, it did come off wrong, you know? <laughs> like, I really don't think that they were trying to be... bad... But it did come off wrong. I don't think they were trying to be bad. I think they were like insensitive. Down. It like, doesn't matter if you stop working the, for the attention's three off of us for a minute. Right. Everybody, <laughs> let's all sing the song and make the world better. It's like mm. it's like just as bad as that. What was it? I think it's Kylie or Kendall Jenner that commercial. The Pepsi the commercial. The Pepsi thing. And she hands the Pepsi and that's laughing, smiling, and everything. Everything's all good. You know, that's an interesting solution that I don't feel like has been properly deployed across the country at this point. Giving people why aren't, Pepsis. Why yeah. aren't cops lobbing Pepsis at the crowd? Yeah. I don't know. It might change things. It could. Pepsi's an amazing, amazing product that I don't own stock in at all. Hi, <laughs> 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 we recommend you go get some for yourself. Um, I drink my Jack and Coke. It, we don't do uh, Jack and Pepsi here. I... I she didn't put ice in mine, which is a weird thing. I don't know why, but, like, I felt... I, I feel almost like sometimes I get, like, the short end of the stick. Like, people don't take me seriously. It's because you're a Pepsi guy. Is that what it is? That's exactly what it I is. I own stock and Coke, too. I'm playing both sides uh, so that I always come out on top. Well, now you got no ice, so how's that work? I... <laughs> I guess I didn't always come out on top. Maybe I feel like, can I have some of yours, or is that like a COVID, um, is that like a restriction yeah, type thing? you know, dude, we're on a plane, so we might die anyway. There you go. Oh! I was going to say, what difference does it make if we're on a plane, whether I get your ice? <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, we're on a plane, so no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. People I... are looking at us funny yeah. on the flight, too, because I feel like they, they like there's some people that look like they just want to sleep. But yeah, it's a public space. So. Yeah. They, anytime I'm on a plane, sleeping, I always just I have in my mind like this is my last day. And this is it. Back. This is it. Like you're gonna. Every time I'm on the plane, I feel like I, I make a deal with the devil. I shake his hand. Right. You say maybe I'm gonna die on this flight. Yeah. I do that too. Isn't that weird? I think about like as I'm on like while I'm on a plane, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all the things that I did leading up to getting on the plane like over the last week in an effort to determine if it goes down and if I don't make it am I going upstairs or down yeah you know what I mean like yeah. in the last week have I done anything that's worthy of going to hell because I feel like God has a short memory yeah I feel like if you don't get rewarded by God immediately following something good that you've done you will never get rewarded well like don't don't like the priests like when you when you pass away and they do like the service whatever they say like these prayers that like grant you into heaven isn't that like a thing I, I, I honestly, I don't know enough about religion to dispute it. I don't either, but I've heard that. <laughs> so your head doesn't matter. I heard that you can be wants. an unrelenting evil person uh, for your entire life. And on your deathbed, you can be like, Jesus, I apologize for all the evil I did. Yeah. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, he said sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to let him in. 
And they're like, you know, we understand that he starved a lot of people, but not only does he have a wonderful singing voice, but he also right. apologized. So, dear Lord, I know I, I had lots of gay sex. I've sucked a lot. I've had a lot of penises in my mouth, but I didn't enjoy it. All right. I didn't. Let me into heaven. Accept me. Yeah. I have remorse. I would. I'll do it again. I'll like do it over again. and over. But I'm I will not gonna suck, like it. I will suck your dick if you let me into heaven. I want to be really clear. All right. If you let me in, I will, I will suck your dick. All right. <laughs> Dear Lord and Dear all the Lord. apostles, I will suck every dick in heaven. Just let me if, in. <laughs> just let me in. Cradle balls. <laughs> You know what I mean? I feel like God might actually take you up on that offer, though. Yeah. I don't feel like it's actually out of the question. If you're sincere. I feel like this is going on a shirt. <laughs> I'll suck every dick in heaven if you just let me in. Uh, fuck. Well, man, I feel like I, I don't really have any anything else to talk about for the off-topic. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. That, that conversation turned to complete 180. It's hard to come back from that. It's hard to come back yeah. from that. I feel like I need a little breather. I'm going to try to get another one of these that hopefully she'll put ice in. And then... I'm going to get another one, too. Yeah. I probably should. You fucking... How many I did you fucking drink in... We've been recording for, like, 20 minutes. How many fucking... Well, I mean, she's just been sneaking nips and jacked me the whole time. Let's combine. She's... Really? Yeah. I got Is it. she coming on to you? No, I just... I pay extra. You pay extra? Oh. Slip the bills, you know. I was going to say, because she's hot. She is. She got the stewardess stewardess game on fleek. But I'm going to commit a relationship. Right, no, yeah, no. Of course, of course. We're not over international, we're, I, you know, we're not, I don't think we're in international waters yet, so right. I'm still faithful. So it's still, yeah, there's still like at least another five miles. Haley doesn't listen to this, so. It's okay. No, she doesn't? Yeah. No, she does. She does? Yeah. Oh. I think she's behind right now. So, like, six months from now, when she catches up... She's going to be like, this. what was that? Yeah, what was that? Yeah. What was that? Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, throw to commercial, and then when we come back, uh, this whole thing has got me thinking about something. You know, like the whole plane ride, everything. It's got me kind of... Uh, I'm thinking about a show that we both really loved, and I feel like maybe we should talk about that. The one that this guy right next to us is on? Yeah. Yeah, that guy. That guy? He... I mean, I think that he was... I don't know. He looks like Jorge Garcia. I'm just saying. He does. He's a very hairy face, though. I can't... I can't... You know, he's got the, he's got the hat on. Beardy. He's got the headphones. And yeah. His eyes are closed. Sunglasses. Play. He's yeah. kind of rocking like a Lebowski thing. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it's... Uh, I feel like it's time that we, we talk about it. So I'm excited. Let's do and it. And if that is him, I'm afraid that we might not actually be going to Guam. Guam? Wait, we're not going to Guam. We're going to Ireland. We're going to Ireland. Oh, Guam's after. Yeah, I know, but it was a quote from the show. <laughs> it was from a later season, though. I mean, I feel like we should just talk about the first one. But anyways, yeah. here, here comes the, uh, here comes the, 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 uh, the, the ads. From the beginning of human history, when cavemen scribbled pigment on stone walls and early men gathered around the campfire, through the ages to modern day, full of superhero blockbusters and Netflix and chill, one thing unites us still, storytelling. 
So tune in to WT Fada's new sister show, What's the Story, where your hosts, Kayla and Ron, discuss the art and elements behind storytelling, covering everything from character development and plot devices to what it means to be human. Available now on Anchor, Spotify, and other listening platforms. Dive further into the WT Fada Network. Join us. We can't wait to share our stories with you. John, what the fuck are we talking about? Well, we're going to be talking about the show that this guy is on, because it is Jorge Garcia. It and is. And we are going to be talking about Lost. Yes. Season I checked one. his wallet. He's still sleeping. But yeah. I, I did. I, I lifted his wallet, looked at the ID. It says Jorge Garcia. I'm pretty amazed, actually. It's a, it's a weird thing, you know, because I, I, I feel like just the fact that we're on a plane two big Lost fans and we happen to be sat next to Jorge Garcia of all people. Some would call it fate. It feels a little bit like fate. It feels a little bit like destiny. The D word, you know? Yeah. It's a big one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been fans of this show since it started, right? Yes. I remember, <clears throat> I remember seeing commercials for Lost and they were on this beach and it was this big like rumbling in the uh in the trees there and mm. it's like lost and like it's all mysterious and they're on this yeah. island and i was like man what could that creature be mm-hmm. for later seasons we'll get to that yeah but we get like a sneak peek at it but i was always suspicious like like in the tail end of the first season you kind of see i thought you were seeing part of it you know, you just see like black smoke, wispy black smoke, and I was like, okay, so whatever it is, black smoke comes out of it. <clears throat> I didn't know that that's where they were heading with the entire design of that thing. You know, right? I always thought it was, you know, some big, like, some like dinosaur type creature. You know, this came out when I was like 14 years old. Yeah, seen the commercial. I was like, oh, it looks interesting, but like I, I didn't watch it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember it was, I think it was our sophomore year. I was like, bam, watching Prison Break. That just came out. I'm like, this show's the best show ever. And you're mm-hmm. like, Lost is the best show ever. And I'm like, all right, you watch Prison Break. I'll watch Lost. And yeah, like, we you, traded. That's you right. traded. And you, you let me borrow the first two seasons of Lost. And yeah. I just, damn, dude. That's it's, it's one of those shows that cha- it changes your life. It, it really you. does, doesn't it? Like, it really, like, I think it's the amount of perspectives that are a part of that cast. They, they're... Whoever the casting director was, A plus job. It's amazing. A plus plus plus. The amount of people that they brought together because when they started that show, I think they had like six characters that they were like, these are our leads. And then as they brought in people like Jorge here, uh, he was brought in to read for Sawyer of all people. And then I saw the, the, the audition tapes of him reading for Sawyer. It was weird. Um, but they, they didn't want him to be that character, but they did feel like if we, they did feel like we need him to be on the show. So then they kind of modeled the Hurley character off of what they liked about Jorge, you know, which is pretty cool. You know, I've always noticed some of the best, some of my favorite characters of all time have been people that they write that part for, you know, like they, they find someone they really like, like we want them. We're right. gonna write a part for them, and like it's always 
from you know what I've seen anyway, it's always a success. Yeah, I feel like you can like run into some pitfalls mm. with that, but also I think sometimes it just feels right. You yeah. know, like sometimes it just needs to be. The biggest thing is if you wrote a uh, a part for like somebody like Al Pacino and he was just like, no, I'm not going to be in your movie. And then it's like, okay, well, who do we get? And then whoever you get is going to be doing like a bad Al Pacino impression the entire time, oh, yeah, you know? Screwed. <laughs> yeah, it's like a messed up thing. But uh, yeah, I feel like in Lost, it all worked out really well. Um, I, I honestly, it's I like. I, the first time I saw Lost, I was on the phone with a friend, and I had the volume turned down all the way. I wasn't even paying attention to the show. And we were talking. I remember when the when the trees died. I hadn't seen any trailers for it, but, like, the promotion stuff behind Lost was really verbose. Like, they were, like, they were really putting out there in the news, like, we spent $13 million or some crazy amount of fucking money on the first episode of the show, and, like... It has 16 core cast members. It's about a plane crash onto a mysterious island and all these different things. And, like, I remember that I was intrigued enough that I had turned it on, but I had not experienced television up until that point that was going to, like, hook me. I I wasn't aware that that was a thing. Up until that point, a lot of television was, like, kind of episodic. Like, here's a story. Now it's the end of the story. And then next week we'll show you a new story, you know? And, like, it didn't carry that amount of, like, the realism of life where, like, you kind of develop history based on the things that happen to you. Um, So when I saw Lost the first time, I really wasn't expecting what what I was getting. And then I liked what I was seeing visually in that first episode enough that I rewatched that. And when I rewatched it, I paid attention, and I was, like, just blown away at, like, the the performances. Like, they got together a group of people that are some of the best actors that I had never seen. Like, actors that came out of nowhere, and they were so good. Yeah. There's no names in that show, like, uh-huh. especially in the first season. I mean, I think the biggest one is probably Dominic Monaghan. Yeah. Because he had the history with the Lord of the Rings at that point. But everybody else, I was like, I've never seen these people before in my life. That's another thing. It's crazy. Not seeing people that you've never seen before and they just play the role. And, like, it's, it makes it feel much more authentic. Yeah. When you see them in a role for the first time because that's, like, your only impression of them. So it's like, you have nothing else. You know, it's like trying to cast Daniel Radcliffe in a movie now. It's like, that's Harry Potter. It's hard to. But, I mean, it's been long enough where it's like, you know, maybe that's a bad example. I don't know, but... No, I I mean, you've got to look at, like, him and Pattinson has the Twilight thing hovering over his head for his entire life. Like, I mean, those types of roles, you, you get pigeonholed so quickly, yeah. you know? Especially when you're young. When you're young and you haven't done anything else, uh, it's really easy for that to happen, right, you know? Right. But these guys, I mean... They weren't even incredibly young people either, you know? Like, they, they were... A lot of them were in their 30s, you know? Hadn't... Had been trucking away at becoming actors and hadn't really had that much mainstream success. Uh, the only one that has, like, a little bit more of a filmography behind him is Terry O'Quinn just because of age, and even him kind of hovering below the radar. Like, a lot of TV roles. Um, he was in The Stepfather, which is excellent. Um... 
but a lot of people that just they they're phenomenal and just hadn't really been given the chance you know uh-huh. actually you mentioned the matrix reloaded and that's harold Perrineau, the guy that played michael is in that oh is he yeah he's it's like one of the time. people in zion since i've seen the matrix but <clears throat> yeah he was in um oz you ever watch oz i i have seen the wizard of oz <laughs> and i've seen um i've seen like the 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 like michael jackson one as well yeah completely different <laughs> oh what is it <laughs> Have you never heard of Oz? No, I did. I did. Oh, okay, I was like, I was like, okay. I don't know if you never heard of it. You were like playing off a joke here, but um, yeah, I mean, the Wiz. That's the name of the yeah. Michael Jackson one. Sorry, the Wiz. Sorry. <laughs> so cool. All right. I watched a little bit of Oz. I wasn't uh, blown away by it. To be completely honest, I know a lot no. of people that watch Oz, live and die by Oz, but I yeah. really care for it. It's like a like the prison show, right? Yeah. Only they don't. It's the prison show where they don't break up. Yeah. It's the prison they show where you're like, you know, you're trapped in, in hell. Yeah, stay this in. Is it. They're like, we're going to stay here. Yeah. They might the have broken thing. out. I don't know if they do. I don't, I don't know. It. I never watched it. I have HBO Max right now, yeah. which, by the way, is a tremendous service from a company that I also don't have stock in. And uh, <laughs> I just want to say that uh, HBO Max, in terms of content, it's impressive. They have real, real deal content. I like it a lot. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what do you like? How do you even start talking about Lost? I mean, it is such an amazing experience. Um, what basically the show starts out with, I mean, it it's told in pieces, like it's all flashbacks. Uh, it's the current present story where people have crashed onto an island, and then each of them will get. There's some episodes where they cover a couple a couple of characters. So I think in the pilot, we bounce back and forth between like Jack, Kate, and Charlie, because those are the people that we kind of follow for the, the core part, the first part of the pilot. Um, but most episodes are based on one character uh, having to do something on the island, and that something that they're doing is like almost a metaphor for something that's happened in their past like a sense of history repeating itself right um i really like that format and i I like the way that they kind of toy around with like how on the nose they're going to be with the things and how much of them are going to be a little bit more obtuse you know a little bit more abstract yeah i really like the uh the way that they put it together yeah the character development in the show off the charts. I don't think I've seen anything like it since. It's honestly more like a novel than a television show. Like, the the amount of things that you learn about people, and also that they knew they were going to do way ahead of time. Like, when I was watching it, I I noticed, um, it's like really fortuitous that we kind of like caught up on the show a little bit before we had this completely random conversation that was just brought up brought on by the fact that we were on a plane next to Jorge Garcia. You know, it's really like a really a blessing. But um, coincidence, you know? Um, or fate. Hey. Uh, I was really blown away at the first flashback episode that features Jack. He has a uh, you're, you're like really getting sloppy with Dude. the like, don't Jack drop. Don't 
Yeah, but don't drop it all over the fucking place. She hasn't been buying a while. I gotta get everything here. Yeah, but it's like, it's kind of, it's grotesque, you I'm know? Just put buzz. it down. Just wait buzz. for her to come back. I'm gonna suck you got ice, ice all over your... I'm gonna suck on whatever. every ice cube. Whatever. Alright, so, but the first episode that has Jack in it, um, his mother is telling him that he needs to go to Australia and get his father, who's on, like, some sort of drunken bender, right? And... She, uh, he says to her, um, why don't you just have one of his friends go get him? And her response is, he doesn't have any friends anymore. Why do you think that is? And then there's this, like, awkward pause, and Jack, like, kind of, like, internalizes what she's said, and then he's like, where is he? And she's like, Sydney. So... But, but that moment is great. And also, they, never, they don't touch on it again in that episode. And it isn't until, like, much further into the series, like, into the first season. I mean, it's like episode 17 or 18 that they go back to that. So, I mean, I know it's not a lot of planning ahead. Yeah. But the reason that he, like, Jack's father doesn't have any friends is because Jack basically cost his father his job as a surgeon. And now all of the people that his father, Christian Shepard, uh, spent time with are essentially just gone, yeah. you know, from his life, and he's just been filling the hole with liquor, you know. Yeah. Um, but I like that. I, I like the way that they like plant those plant things, yeah. and then they just drop them, and they just take their time. You know, it's like it's not relevant to the story that we're telling right now. We don't need to talk about how Jack lost his dad, his job. You know, like it. It, it, uh, it, it feels more like real life in that way. Because you, it's like not doing exposition. It's like they're, they're, they're not doing exposition because they know they have all the time in the world to get around to those things. So they don't need to explain what's happening. They, they're just like, nope, that's just one thing that was said and it changed the way. All you need to know is that something happened between Jack and his dad. And Jack has enough guilt about it that it turns him from being like, I am not going to Australia to where is he? I'll get on a plane right away. You know what I mean? Like that... That stuff is great, you know? Yeah, they do that a lot. Yeah. They do it a lot, and sometimes it's like seasons yeah. <laughs> before you get answers. It is. And it's like, it's great. I'm glad that this, this show came out before the streaming services and all that, because this is a show that it's great to binge, and like I would, you know, we, which we are doing now, but, yeah. you know, that that like week-to-week anticipation, I feel like it, it adds... It adds to the way that the show makes you feel because you have a week in between if you're watching religiously, just to like marinate and sit on what you just watched. Right. But like when you, I feel like when you blow through seasons, it almost takes a little bit away from that experience. Right. You know when you just go yeah. episode after episode after episode, which is like there's nothing wrong with it, but you know it just it's it savors when you just watch yeah. one episode a week and. Know, it gives you more time to kind of figure it out. Loss is a lot. Loss is like a puzzle, you know? It's, it is. There's a lot of pieces to it. And, and it's know. a puzzle, too. Like, what's interesting about it is it's a puzzle where you don't know what the final image is. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're just getting these pieces, and you're like, okay, well, I guess this kind of goes together, but it, I don't know what it, that, what that, what does that look like when you put those together. And a it's lot like, of I don't the fun know. was speculation, you know? It was a show that, like, lived and died on its theories, you know? Like, they would give you just enough information for you to be like, okay, well, how do we... What do you think that means now, you know? And I feel like they gave you cliffhangers nearly every episode. 
Yeah, every episode they kind of left on something where you're like, okay, well, why though? Well, you yeah. know, what does that what does that mean? My favorite one of those is in um, the episode Numbers, which is the first Hurley. Hey, Jorge. Um, it's the first. Uh, should, we, should we wake him up for this part? I honestly, he looks so peaceful. He's yeah. like so it's sweet like a looking. Snorlax. I kind of want to like cuddle up on I know, him, but yeah. I feel like it's gonna be weird. No, we're getting trouble. I think so. I think we have like another like hour before we get to international waters. I think we can just you know. Just, like, Once we get there, snuggle. then I feel like it's all on. Like I feel like you can do whatever you want. Um, so I'm gonna just snuggle up under this just, arm here and just snuggle and in and take a nap. He smells good. Yes, he smells great. It's like mango and coconut. It's nice. Um, so my favorite cliffhanger is uh, all right. The end of Numbers has... It's a flashback episode that features Hurley. And Hurley, it's detailing his history with this set of numbers that he learned from a guy that was like... Did they... How far in did they go with him in that episode? Like, like the, the guy that he got the numbers from. Because he goes to Australia to talk to his wife. Uh-huh. But... They don't really say, like, where he knew the dude from... In that yeah, episode, right? Yeah. Okay. Which is a crucial know. piece of information that comes a lot later, and then you're like, "Oh Jesus!" It like reveals a lot something. later. Yeah. 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 About <laughs> Hurley, uh, and kind of calls into question like, sort of his perspective, maybe. The, those those numbers had <coughs> a lot more power on my life than I'd like to admit. They made me nervous. <laughs> yeah, I know. And like, you see them come up in lotteries sometimes. Like, if you had played those numbers, you would have made money. Uh-huh. Like for sure, you know weird but um i wouldn't want it i'd be scared like i'd be like yes i won but i'd be like uh i don't know yeah i feel like yeah. i'm gonna buy a bunch of chicken business chicken place places mr clucks fucking, yeah that's that's not so later um <laughs> <laughs> we're getting way ahead of ourselves uh, it's so hard not to <laughs> i know it's all like intertwined that's why i'm like trying to remember like in that episode i'm pretty sure that they don't say exactly who he how he knows the person that he yeah. got the numbers from but the numbers are something that somebody that Hurley knew had given him and then he had used them to play the lottery but he finds out that they're like a curse right and they have been like they basically he wins the lottery wins a bunch of money and then just misfortune after misfortune after misfortune starts befalling Hurley so like his grandfather dies his new mansion uh the the mansion that he buys for his mom I think burns down he's like genuinely trying to do nice things for the people around him with this money which is like what exactly what i would do right if i want a fuck ton of money which is exactly what i wouldn't do because i'm (laughs) totally self-absorbed and i would just blow it all on hookers and coke um but a lot of hookers and a lot of coke he's going the charlie sheen route yeah that's how i mean it's the american dream if you're gonna try and do nice things for people it's just gonna blow up in your face like it did with hurley yeah might as well just go Honestly, it worked out for Charlie. Sheen. Uh, so, I, I just feel like... Uh, I just feel just like... Hasn't. <laughs> at all. But yeah, so... You kind of see, like, the, his wife being, like, torn asunder by having used these numbers. At least that's how he feels. And then, in the last moment... So, separate of this, Locke and Boone where two other survivors have stumbled upon, like, a hatch in the jungle that they've been, like, slowly excavating for the last couple of episodes, right? And 
at the end of the numbers episode, they show the hatch, and you're just, like, slowly kind of, like, zooming in on it. Uh-huh. And when you get, like, within, like, a foot of it, all of a sudden it becomes really clear that on the side of the hatch, there's, like, the numbers are, like, stamped into the side of the hatch. And it's just such a cool revelation. And you're like, what does that even yeah. mean? What are you talking yeah. about, you know? It, it, that show, like, the amount of times that you sit there and you go, like, I... Like, like they give you a piece of information like that and then they just let it sit they don't go back to it I don't like talk about that again until the finale of the show uh-huh. the, 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 se- the se- finale of the season sorry yeah. um, where they're about to blow open the door on the hatch because there's no handle so they had to get like dynamite and they're about to blow open the door and Ron you have a little bit of arts on your shoulder there arts oh I hate when I I hate when I get arsed on me, um, but like it's it's literally like Locke is there. He, they have the dynamite set. He has the fuse in one hand. He's about to light the match, and he's dead set. Like I want to know what's in this thing. It's like compelling me. I feel like this is the reason we were brought here, you know. And uh, and as this is about to happen, Hurley is on the other side of the hatch, and he sees the numbers. And he realizes, like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. So he starts yelling, like, hey, stop, stop, you know? And he's, like, running towards Locke to try to tell him, like, abort, abort, you know, don't blow it up. And Locke sees this person, like, this last thing that's going to get in the way of him getting what he wants, running towards him, telling him no. (laughs) And Locke's just like, fuck you, and lights it. (laughs) And, like, poor Hurley is trying to, like, stamp out the fuse and, like, running towards the dynamite. And Jack has to, like, Jack is, like, the de facto leader of the of the survivors you know uh-huh. and like jack is like hurry hurry stop stop and he's like trying to grab him and wrestle him away from his mission and uh i don't know it's just like those things like that's another special thing is i feel like the character motivations on that show are very clear like there's no ambiguity about what people want yeah and i kind of like that because it makes those moments more intense yeah, because you see one person doing one thing, and you know, like, okay, how's this person, this person, this person going to react? And you kind of know, you can kind of predict what's going to happen, but, you know, you're interested to see how that how right. that breaks down. Well, it just feels like everybody, like, everybody wants something, and sometimes, the like, two people will want things that are diametrically opposed. So, it's like, the way that, that there are some rival, rivalries that come out of uh, basic human things like I feel like Jack and Sawyer as characters kind of look at each other like um, you know you're we're both relatively the same age we're both kind of like uh, very we're masculine you know what I mean we, we both are kind of interested in the same person on the island like yeah. so that sort of rivalry and bit of jealousy between the two of them also, like, class warfare, too. Like, Jack's well-educated. He's a spinal surgeon. Sawyer is not, you know. like Sawyer, <laughs> Sawyer is. Sawyer is not. a con man. Sawyer is not that well-educated. Sawyer's lived a, a pretty rough, underprivileged life, you know. So, like, those things come about naturally. And then there are things where it's like, why would Locke and Hurley ever be opposed to each other? And then you see, like, oh, because... Locke is desperate to get into that hatch, you know? He thinks that what's down there is important, and 
Hurley just sees the numbers and is like, honestly, nothing good has ever happened because of those. Yeah. And we can't open, if we open that, we're putting everybody in danger. It could be anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And they plant seeds of like the danger of it too in, in great ways. Like Saeed learns about the hatch from Locke um, and then they cut Jack in on it. And, you know, you know, Locke is explaining, I used my discretion, I didn't tell you about this because I didn't think that you, you know, you needed to know. Now I feel like you do. And Jack's sort of like, well, you should have told me, you know, like the leader. And uh, he, like, stands up. Jack stands up and looks down at it, and he's like, so, how do we open it? And Saeed, like, fucking loses his mind. He's like, I brought you here to talk him out of doing this. And he's like, honestly, it's a hatch in the ground that doesn't have a handle. So don't you think that maybe it's not supposed to be open? So like they already like have planted the idea that it could be dangerous. Yeah. And then like you have the numbers thing happen and you have the way Hurley's reacting to it. And it's like, you don't know. It could open it up and it could just be like it could be like COVID-19 just overtakes the island and everybody dies, you know? Yeah. Well, that mystery, you know, I think uh you know, I think a lot of us were on John Locke's side. You know, granted, as a viewer, there's no consequence for us, but to yeah. know what's inside a hatch on an island that you crash landed on that has no handle, it's like, well, what the fuck is in this? And thing? like, no because... inhabitants. Like, you, you look around and you're like, it's pretty much only us. So, yeah. what is this? Uh-huh. You know, what is this weird and shelter like, that's it, been built? Yeah, it, exactly. It's shelter, and it could have supplies yeah. in there, things that you need to survive. Yeah, I want to blow it up too. I love that moment where Jack is like, Jack is like, you know, he's like, what's the harm in opening it? He's like, worst case scenario, it's a bunch of frozen TV dinners. Yeah. You know, (laughs) best case, you know, he's like, no, best case scenario, it's like shelter and a bunch of TV dinners. Worst case scenarios, it's nothing. And Saeed's like, I can think of plenty worse (laughs) scenarios than that. Like, there's a a bunch of things that could be down there, you know? I always feel like it just sort of looks like a septic tank. I'm always right. like, they're trying to get into a septic tank, and you're going to be like, oh, no, it's just it's blowing that. Up. It's just an overwhelming smell. Okay. Yeah. Then you have more to be worried about than just arst. Yeah. You, you don't just have arst on you. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a, like, another thing that I feel like they did that was really fun is the idea of, like, here are, the, here are like, the 16... It's crazy to say this. Here are the 16 characters we're going to focus on. Uh, but then also, there's 48 survivors... So, in the background, you're populating your scenes with people that repeat, you know? And you see them in flashbacks at the airport, like the, the girl in the blue striped sweater um, yeah, is yeah. at the airport, and then she's on the island, and it's like all these people, the Scott and Steve, and Scott. one of them, I'm not clear who, meets a kind of unfortunate end. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, what's cool is, like, by the time we get up to the end of the first season they've basically been on the island for what a month or so about a month i feel like every uh, every season in the first three is basically a month of time that passes by so when he uh when we get to that that point you start seeing this guy show up arst who's doctor he's a he's dr leslie arst he's actually like a high school science teacher yeah something to that effect and um He's basically, like, he's telling them they, they're trying to build a raft. They're trying to get off the island. They're trying to do all that stuff. Uh, and he's basically telling them about trade winds and how, like, basically they're going to get out onto the water and going to get blown to Antarctica, and that's going to be it, you know? And the way that that 
like he shows up saying that and you're like who's this annoying guy and then in the last episode like it's like a three-parter um they actually like get into that conversation where like dr arst is like you know you guys have your own little clique your own little group and the rest of us is just left out you know we don't we don't get to have any say in what goes on you know Uh and like i like the idea that like there's i think out of necessity you can't just be like here's 16 people that uh survived like you have to have a bigger number than that Uh and the way that the uh that car's loud i think she broke a wheel on that thing more jack and cokes man more jack and cokes how many are you going to have before we land? I don't know. How many can I fit in in a six or seven hour span? Yeah. I ain't driving. I'm a little bit... Well, thank God. <laughs> if you were piloting this, we'd be going down 100% at this point. And you're, you're a mess. You're a mess. I've had two. I've had two. I'm okay. Although mine weren't watered down by ice. Except for that little bit that you gave, you gave me, like, a cube. But I like the idea that, like, naturally in the course of this show you wind up with, like, the idea of, like, you can't just say 16 because that would be, like, too conspicuous, be too odd. You gotta say, like, 48 people survived. That broadens the number up and say, here's 16 that we're focusing on. But overall, 48. And I like the idea that naturally, because we're not focusing on the rest of those survivors, that it, like, creates a tension in the show where those people feel, like, disenfranchised. Uh Like, there's, like... There's a class system that's been worked out on the island, too. And it's funny because they outnumber them, too. Like, the oh, like yeah. 16 is, like, what, 32 other people? Yeah, like, if Arst, if Arst decided to, like, lead a rebellion against our 16 it. survivors, yeah. I, he might win. <laughs> and especially because there's division amongst those survivors, too, so. Uh-huh. You know, they got some heavy hitters, though. I mean, Thank Saeed's a, mem- a former member of the Republican Guard, so he's a soldier. Um, Locke is a hunter extraordinaire. He really good at range. Back. Yeah, he got his legs back. That I'd be was kicking everybody. I know <laughs> he wouldn't stop. Um, I always feel like um, I always feel like the sense of uh, those character revelations that happen are really spectacular uh-huh. and add such a nice layer to what you've seen from characters. Like, up until the point that we see Locke and everything that he's been through, uh, he just kind of seems creepy, you know? It's like standing in the wreckage while Kate's taking the shoes off of a dead man so that she has, like, proper footwear for hiking through the jungle. And he turns and... Well, she turns and realizes he's looking at her, and she kind of looks at him like kind of like I know this is disgusting like stealing off of a corpse you know because he yeah. looks kind of solemn uh-huh. and then like he smiles and he has yeah. like a like a peel from a fruit in his mouth like like Marlon Brando in The Godfather like yeah. he has that thing going on and then she just kind of looks disturbed and then he notices her kind of disgust at his behavior and then like turns back to what he's doing and just chews his food yeah. but so like you're like, wow, that guy's kind of scary. Like, you feel really scared about him. Yeah, because he's the one who's the most comfortable in all that chaos right there. And he has good reason to be. Right. And that's what's cool is that that perspective flip where you go, you know, you, he makes you really nervous. And then you find out all this stuff about him and 
you find out that like up until the crash he was he was a man who was paralyzed and they hold you on that too like they don't let you see they don't let you see that he's paralyzed they very very artfully shoot around the fact that he can't walk in all those flashbacks uh-huh. and then at the end of that episode he's like trying to go on a walkabout tour in Australia and the guy's telling him that, like, we can't let you, you know, because of your condition. You're like, what's his condition? Is he a psychopath? Like, what is it, you know? And then uh, the guy's, he's like, I, he's like saying, I can do this. I can do this. And yeah. it's that, that defining lock moment where the guy's like, no, you can't. And he gets up and he walks away. And Locke's like, don't walk away from me. And then you see him push back from the table, from the desk, in a wheelchair. And he's yelling at the guy, like, don't tell me what I can't do, ever, you know? And then like, you think back to that episode, the first time you see Locke and he's wiggling his toe, and you're like, that's why. Yeah, they plant it right in the beginning. He, he's on the beach. He's not wearing shoes. He looks down at his feet, laying down. He looks down at his feet, and he wiggles his toe, and, like, they show him, like, unsteadily getting up onto his feet because it's the first time he's walked in, like, four years. Right. You know? And you would think, like, oh, his legs would atrophy if he wasn't you know, if he wasn't exercising, wasn't able to use his legs for four years, his legs would turn into, like, sticks. Yeah. But in another artful thing, because they knew that that was going to come up as a question, is, like, Locke never stopped thinking that he was going to be able to walk again, so he wanted to be prepared for that, right? So if you look in his bedroom while he's talking on the phone, he's using, a like, a phone sex chat line yeah. to talk to... Just to talk to somebody, not even, like, in any charged way or any perverse way he just wants company because he's a very lonely sad man uh-huh. he breaks my heart Locke is like one of the characters that like I I connect with really hard and I just think he's like such a beautiful story and such a I don't know he's like a, he's an interesting character because he's dichotomous like he's like I'm I'm the hunter and I'm a man of faith I'm spiritual but also He's dangerous because you see him in the context of being, like, a hunter, you know? Um, so, I don't know. He, he's just interesting. But yeah. one of the things that I like, you know, getting back to where I was going, but, like, the idea that he always knew, he always felt like he was going to walk again. So, in the flashback when he's talking to the phone sex worker and she's, you know, saying, like, if we don't get off the phone, I'm going to have to charge you for another hour and all this stuff. And, um... It's so sad. He's, like, talking to her about, like, his hopes and dreams and stuff, you know? And, and it's, just, it's just horrible what, like, Locke went through in terms of, like, that displacement, you know? And that feeling of, like, not belonging. It's yeah. just horrible. But on the bedside next to him, he actually has, like, a muscle stimulator. And basically, like, what they do is, like, if you're paralyzed, they will try to keep your... your uh, they will try to keep, like, your muscle weight on by stimulating those muscles with external electricity so basically like it seems like every night he puts the diode things on different parts of his muscles and turns it on so that they're constantly being stimulated and kept strong yeah so then when he gets to the island like and he can walk again it's not like an issue where like oh my my muscles won't work you know Mm -hmm. i thought that was cool don't miss a beat I just figured the island would have taken care of that too. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Seems like the nothing the island can't do. But it's funny you got you got John Locke, you know, he's a part of this plane that crashes, and for forty-seven other people, it's like the worst day of their life. Yeah, like the worst day. And for him, it's the best day. 
yeah. the greatest day. Yeah. You know, that'd be like if I crashed on an island and I woke up and I'm like, I don't really feel anxious today. It's a miracle. This yeah. island is special. Yeah. <laughs> My anxiety's gone. Yeah. <laughs> For him, he's like, I can walk again. It's a miracle. Well, that's the thing is I like the idea of um, like his – he does seem like he's always going to be like slightly counter to everybody. Mm. And I like the – I like the feeling that he, um, like, he looks at what's happening, like, everybody else looks at what's happening as, like, this is horrible, this is a big tragedy, like, this is something that shouldn't have happened, and all of these things, and he really focuses in on the idea that, like, no, like, we were brought here, like, that we that we survived a plane crash out of the sky where the plane was ripped apart into like three separate sections and that we're here and like I have a scratch on my face and you have a scratch on your face like how how did this happen mm-hmm. you know so he's like this is amazing and then because of that because he feels like they were brought here he has like this sense of communion with the island uh already and then it's reinforced when he meets the monster, which happens in the fourth episode, um, he's out trying to track down a boar to get for everybody to eat, and he runs into the monster. You don't see what he sees, but you see his reaction to it. Uh-huh. And the way it's framed is like the boar seems like it got attacked by the monster, right? Um, and then you don't know what happens to Locke, and then when he reappears, he's dragging the boar out of the jungle. So it seems almost like the monster killed the boar and then fucking gave it to Locke. So Locke, like four or five days into being on the island, has come face to face with something that he has never seen before. And that something did did a kindness for him. And that completely sells him. Like that turns him, if there's any trace that this place isn't special. But I mean, what more do you need? Like you crash land, you survive, you get barely injured you can walk again and now there's something that we don't know what it is is offering you food like that that totally explains his character motivations Uh like moving forward and how okay he is with everything but it's interesting like he looks at it like it's a game almost you know like it's a it's a grand adventure you know yeah and I like how they go through all that with him because it sets up that man of science and man of faith kind of like rivalry like butting heads there and you know, you know usually when I see people with like oh like oh everything happens for a reason mentality and I'm just like, just like shut the fuck up you know it's like yeah. what do you mean but like when you see Locke go through these these things and he can you know he can walk again and he, and he comes across a smoke monster and you know it's it's easy to get behind why he feels the way he does yeah and it's interesting too because I feel like from the first season like they they've very specifically chosen a con man motif that has happened repeatedly right so like Sawyer is a con man um eventually you find out that uh Locke's father is a con man uh so the, this idea of the con is really important right and it's the idea that like they they make very very clear you have to convince your mark that they decided that they wanted to do something that's the only way that you're going to get a successful con so we, we won't get into Locke's fate but 
when you realize where he's going and the trajectory that he's ultimately on, you realize that, you know, that the forces that exist on the island are conning our characters, too, you know? And that's a really... That's where, like, the storytelling is interesting to me because it's like... It's like uh, the Russian nesting dolls. Yeah. Like, it's like... Here's the big thing that's happening, and here's the smaller version of it, and a smaller version of it, and a smaller version of it, and it's like it's like repetition over and over. That's how you're able to like decode what they do at the end of the series, you know. And I think that that stuff is um, like really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um. So, what, do you have like a a favorite standout character from the show? Through like season one, and we talk about just in general. Like, uh, I like, yeah, I don't know. We probably should say season one. Yeah, right? it's just it's so hard because I like so many of the different characters for different reasons. I know, but you know when you think of favorite characters, Charlie's one that always comes up. Mm-hmm. I like Sawyer a lot. I like Locke. Yeah. Um, but I think I like Claire. I like Kate. I like yeah. Jack, you know. I don't think there's any that I like. I absolutely dislike. And there were ones that I remember not liking, uh, but I, I look back at them really fondly. Like, I feel like I have every reason in the world to not really like Shannon. Yeah, I didn't really care much for Shannon. Even yeah. Boone. I didn't yeah. Really Boone. I didn't really care for Boone. I, I, uh, feel I, like like, I feel like when I look back at them, though, I do appreciate them. You know? Like, it makes oh, yeah. sense why they're there. Uh-huh. You know? And actually, I don't know if you've ever seen Maggie Grace the woman, the, the girl that plays Shannon in real life, but, like, she, she really is acting. Like, that, that is not her as a person oh, yeah. at all. It's, like, actually amazing, mm-hmm. the performance that she puts in. She nails it. Yeah. I think they gave her, like, Paris Hilton type, and I feel like yeah. it's easy to become, um, it's, it's easy to become, like, a caricature. Yeah. But I feel like she does a really good job of trying to layer that performance, you know, and make Shannon more... Uh, more of a human being than just that, like, a Paris Hilton type, you know? Um, she does really good. Especially, like, you know, there's only one big character death in the first season, and it's either Scott or Steve. I can't remember which. <laughs> Sorry, no. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, Boone uh, doesn't make it out of season one. Yeah. And uh, I was watching that, and I was watching her performance as she was like it's that thing where she's like sat over her brother's her stepbrother's body and she's looking down at him and it's like grief like real intense grief isn't like you're at full blast the entire time there are these like periods of time where you're just like thinking about the person right and thinking about the things that have happened between you and the person and those moments are actually, like, really peaceful because it's like your brain is shutting off from the reality of the moment uh, to try to, like, ease your suffering. But then that suffering will come back in. And when it does, it's like you get, you get like, a catch in your throat and then it floods out, like, insane amounts, right? And I feel like she, watching her sitting over Boone's body and processing that I she's amazing she is such a good actress and I feel like when I watched the show I didn't really appreciate what she was doing 
as much. Uh-huh. But that moment, like the way that you see, like that calmness of like, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm like, I'm okay, and then you see it breaking down, and then you yeah. see her just losing it. Um, I really appreciate Maggie Grace. I wish I saw her in more things. I know she's in like the Walking Dead spinoff something like that but oh yeah yeah she is yeah she's really good in that too yeah I've watched a few seasons of Fear the Walking Dead and I liked her in that she was in Taken Taken yeah she was Liam Neeson's daughter mm-hmm. yeah she was the one that was in fact Taken she caused all that trouble she was tooken she was my daughter's been tooken <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, uh, that was like I can't remember did uh Taken didn't come out before Lost, did it? No. No, it was no, after. It was after. Yeah, yeah was I think like, she probably got cast in that based on yeah. um, based on her role in Lost. Is there like a, a favorite episode of the first season? Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I. That's hard. That's so hard. I think I think I have to a lot of episodes to choose from yeah it's it's a huge season typical 10 to 13 episodes yeah it was like before they whittled it down you know like i feel like modern television kind of shoots for somewhere in the 10 range maybe 13 Mm -hmm. but uh so many good episodes so many great characters that i mean they're all heavy hitters they're all heavy hitters I, i think whenever a lock episode comes on it's special to me um, I love he's my favorite character uh-huh. like bar none um, and you know I think he's just a remarkable person like a he's like, like a pillar of, of strength you know that he went through so many horrors and comes out the other side as like essentially a good person uh-huh. like he's not he, he's not uh I don't know. He's not jaded or bitter, and you see him go out of his way to do so many nice things for people. Like he, Walt has his dog on the flight, and the dog, you know, goes missing on the island, and nobody can find him. And like Locke sits down and he like carves a dog whistle with a knife. Like that's insane. First of all. Second of all, he uses it to find the dog. Right? But he does not bring it back to Walt. He eats it. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> he doesn't bring it back to Walt. He brings it back to Walt's father. So that he could be the one. So that he can give it to his son. Because and he knows the relationship between Yeah. The, like, the relationship Michael. between Walt and Michael is really strained because basically Walt was like taken away by his mother from Michael. <clears throat> so from like the ages of like one and a half, maybe two, to when we see Walt now when he's like... 10 like Michael has not been a part of his life not for lack of trying either not for lack of trying like he sent birthday cards every year but the mother like intercepted them and hid them away and wouldn't let Walt see them and like so is this this really sad situation and Locke sees it and and like helps and like he Claire uh, is the pregnant woman and like pretty much doesn't really get to do anything because she's a pregnant woman she's like you just kind of have to like relax you know mm-hmm. um but Locke like asks her for help 
with something and she's like, I don't know what I can do for you. And uh, he basically is like, well, can you move your hand like this, like back and forth? And can you hold a saw? And she's like, I guess I probably can do that. So she's like, like, I know we're stranded on an island, but I'm not jerking you off, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, terrible. Just ain't happening. Um, no, so he like has her come out and like chop up these pieces and he has glue that he made out of rendered animal fat and he's like putting together this thing and she's like is it a trap and like he won't really answer he's being kind of elusive and like at the end of it all it's like all finished and he's like there we go we're done and she's like okay i don't understand i'm stumped and then he like takes the thing that they've been building all day and he flips it over and you realize that it's a fucking crib for her baby that she had to be born. It's like all these things that it's just like he is such a good person. And I feel like he like, even though he's made it through all the struggles in his previous life and gotten to this place and, and he is a good person, I feel like he is still met with so much skepticism. Uh -huh. It's still an uphill battle just to get to a place where he's accepted. And I feel for that character in a, in a huge way. Uh -huh. um, so I think he's my favorite. So yeah, I think Walkabout probably stands. I think Walkabout was the first time I realized how special that show was going to be because I think that's the first episode that I started. I, I cried the first time I saw it. I cried legitimately. Lost, Lost is a show that really gets you emotionally. It gets you really wrapped up emotionally within the characters, the storyline, yeah. the things that happen to these people, the things that did happen to these people that led to where they are now. It's, it's amazing. Um, is there a bird in the plane yeah and I think someone's just like does somebody have a pet bird I think someone just listened to like one of those those calming apps that help you fall asleep and they don't have headphones it's really rude but at the oh. same time it's nice at least they're not blasting shit music yeah we're trying to record a podcast here asshole right no but it's funny you bring up Locke and all the nice things that um, you know he does with people and he doesn't help people out on there because uh, I was thinking like one of the episodes that stood out to me which you know I'm, I can't really say it's my favorite but Episode 7, The Moth. The Moth. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a huge favorites. one. That's one of the ones that stuck with me. So, you know, Charlie is obviously, uh, he's addicted to heroin. He yes. had it on the plane with him when they went down. And he's going, he's trying to find it. But Locke, Locke has the heroin. He has the drugs. And he's trying to help Charlie get clean. Right? And Charlie's just like, it comes to a point where it looks like Charlie's going to kill him because he doesn't give him the drugs. Yeah. And, and Locke, he looks scary. He explains to him, he's like, listen. He's like, if you ask me for the drugs one more time, I'll give them to you. And he goes on, but before he goes on about this, he starts comparing moths and butterflies. He's like, the butterflies get all the attention, they're beautiful, this and that, but the moths, they're the ones that do all the work. He's talking about how like, they make silk and this and that, and he talks about how if you open a cocoon and help it get out, it becomes weak. You know, right. It needs to struggle. Basically, the whole point of it, it needs to struggle to survive. Right. And, you know, you need to go through pain and discomfort to come out stronger to survive in this world. And that's something that, like, stuck out to me. Obviously, that was something that um, Charlie, you know, found value in. Yeah. The whole point of that there. And that was, like, that was to me, was a very special episode. It's like, we go through day-to-day -day shit that just sucks. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, why is all this happening? And, you know, it's like, you wish people would just help you. But no one's yeah. going to help you. you got to help yourself. Yeah. You know, you got to work to be a stronger person. Yeah. To survive. And, you know, kind of like, because it helps you accept some of the bad things that happen, you know. For sure, yeah. 
it kind of goes with that whole the saying, the, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type thing. Right. Which, like, on the surface, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, you know, when you have it broken down the way that Locke breaks it down, mm. it's like, you know, trying to find the silver linings and, and the shit that you're going through. Yeah. You know, that the things that are worth having are going to come easy. It's going to be struggle. It's going to be pain, whether it's things that happen to you or it's things that you need to do to get get to that place that you're looking to get. It's not always going to be an easy path. No. Yeah. That, that, the, the show, like, has, like, so many strong, uh, strong episodes, and some of them are, like, rapid fire. Because, I mean, you got Walkabout and White Rabbit. So, I, I'm, all right, I'm going to be honest, full disclosure, Kate episodes, for whatever reason, I never really feel like they connect with me. No. I just don't feel it. Yeah. As much. Um, so, you know, the, the third episode is Tabula Rasa, which is a Kate episode about her life as a criminal mm-hmm. on the run. Um, and, but then, so it's Walkabout, White Rabbit, House of the Rising Sun, which used to not be as interesting to me, but, like, because, all right, we don't, we don't know... Sun and Jin are super hard to access and connect to because they do not speak English or allegedly uh-huh. do not speak English. Um, so up until that point, you're seeing Jin as this like really overpowering, um, you know, almost like abuser type figure, like domestic violence contender, like that guy um, without any backstory. And then they do House of the Rising Sun, and you see this, like, version of events where, like, they were happy. Like, they, they were, like, sweet to each other, and they really loved each other. And then, like, Jin kind of morphs and changes to the point that, like, she eventually confronts him in the bathroom of their their apartment. And he's come home from work, and he's, like, covered in blood and stuff. And it's like, what the fuck have you been doing? Like, what is this? And, like you know, he's scary, and and she ultimately wants to leave, and she kind of is in the pro, like, she has, she has learned, uh, English, I think they reveal in that episode, that she's, she speaks English, I think so, um, in preparation for, like, taking off from him, yeah, um, and, but she ultimately decides to stay, there's like one little sweet moment at the airport that makes all the difference um and she chooses to stay and and like you know at the time you're like well what like clearly this guy is dangerous like i don't know like what what's happened that's changed him into this but he's definitely different but I like that, like, that the show is great because they show you that and it's all from Sun's perspective. And then when you see it later on, kind of from Jin's perspective, it's like he's in a tight spot. Like, he is in a, a, in a tough situation because he does love her and does care about her. And he's being asked to do things by her father, uh-huh. you know? And it's like, you know, traditional values in their country and everything, like, kind of make... A situation where, like, Jin is forced into doing whatever he has to do in order to, like, keep them together, you know? And and you feel a lot more sympathetic to him and a lot more... You understand more that, like, he's angry 
his anger kind of stems from the idea that like he's being forced to live outside of his core values, you know, and you feel a little bit more sympathetic for him. You he's know, he's doing that for the relationship, and then you know, son doesn't understand that, she doesn't know that, so then she gets mad at him for the shit he's doing, and he's in his head. He's like, "Well, I'm doing this for us," but he can't like tell her that. And, well, know, because he doesn't want to tell her that her dad is like a is criminal. He's a, a horrible person. Yeah. yeah, and then it just creates like just just toxic relationship. And it, it sucks on both sides, you know, yeah. it, him being forced in that situation, acting the way he does, it doesn't take away from the shit that son has to deal with as well. And it's like, it's, it's tough to see, but it's good that you do see it from both perspectives yeah. so you can get some type of clarity there on like what's happening and like what's going on. And, you know, there's like the, the outside environment that's just like shaping Jin to be the way he was. Cause if you find out where he came from and he was like the sweet fisherman, you know, he came from a very small village. Yeah. And, you know, people get put in tight spots and they they act crazy. Yeah. Shit gets to them. And um, life's a lot more complicated than just, like, good or bad, you know? Yeah. So, see, it's, it's, it's tough to see from both sides. I feel more like, like this watch through, I don't know, man. I don't know what it was. But Lost is, like, such an important show to me. And. I feel like this watch through I was like getting more choked up in more places than I have in the past you yeah. know like that that show is um they really know how to like make you feel you know for their characters I felt like that that episode House of the Rising Sun and then the kind of like sequel in in translation which I always thought was funny like lost in translation um <laughs> I, I I like the uh I felt like those ones hit harder than they had before. Uh-huh. I was more invested in what was happening between those characters. Well, the show covers a lot of different, a lot of various points in people's lives from all different walks, and it covers a lot. So you know, as we grow older, we kind of deal with more shit or are exposed to more things. So it's like you can relate to some of the things that you might not have been able to relate to before when you were like fourteen, fifteen, watching this. Yeah. Or even sixteen, seventeen, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Twenty, twenty-one. Because I know we've both all watched through this multiple times. Yeah, it's been a while for me, but you know, before this. So. Yeah, I don't know. It might have been. This might have been the longest I've gone without watching it. it probably like six years, maybe. Yeah. Seven years, I'd something say like that. Probably something like that. Um, but man, it's like you know, and, and I remember I went into this and I was like, I wonder how it's going to be. Like, I wonder if I'm going to watch it and be like. Yeah, it's still good, but it's really not as good as I remembered it being, you yeah. know, or if, you know, if things were going to change, and, and it has not. I think it might have gotten better. <laughs> I, like, I was watching it, and I was, like, consistently, like, this this is even stronger than what I remember, you know? It really is, like, one of the most, definitely one of the most addictive shows that's ever been made. I think, like, they know exactly how to, like, give you the dopamine release of being like oh like that was cool like I got like this little mystery and now I understand what's going on but I still don't understand the big mystery you know they figured that out really well there's a plane flying outside of our plane do you hear that what the fuck why is it it's like close too do they know I wonder if they're going to Ireland too I don't know maybe one big party yeah all right, well, it seems like it's kind of, like, veering off. Okay, whatever. Um, 
Yeah. I feel I, I I do. There's so many. So yeah, like from House of the Rising Sun, and then uh, the Moth, and then Confidence Man is fucking great too. The the Sawyer flashback episode. Find out more about him and what he's all done, and why he was in Australia. Uh-huh. He's there to kill a man who conned his parents, conned his mother, and basically caused his father to like lose his mind. His father shot and killed Sawyer's mom, yeah. and then himself. And you find out like in that episode, it's the realization that Sawyer is a pseudonym. It's the name of the con man that he's been tracking down all these years. Yeah. Um, and that. His real name is James Ford. Basically, he's in Australia because somebody that he used to work with, who will not be forgiven for the Tampa job, uh, has told him that, you know, the real Sawyer is down there. So Sawyer goes and, like, kills this man and finds out that he himself has been conned into killing a man that has nothing to do with his past. (laughs) Which is like, holy shit, what a fucking twisty-turny episode that was. Uh But really cool. Get so many storylines going on through this, through and this show, so many shades. Characters and everybody's different, you know. Everybody's different, and like the way that they explore that is phenomenal. I feel like each one of these characters' stories could have been a movie on its own. Yeah, you know, they're so richly developed and thought out, you know. Uh-huh. And I like when like you see them together and you see the way that they butt heads on different things and you know we're slowly in the first season we're starting to understand this conflict that's going to develop between Jack and Locke where you know they are both you know Jack is sort of the de facto leader and I think Locke doesn't necessarily want to be a leader and he all of of says that in White Rabbit where he's out collecting water for the survivors and Jack's like, oh, I'm going to join you. And then Locke's like, no, you know, you need to finish what you started out here. And because Locke's been, Jack's been out chasing the phantom image of, like, his dead father around the jungle. You know, and he doesn't know why it's happening. Uh-huh. Locke is just saying, like, this place is special, you know. And, you know, when, when Jack tries to go with him, he says, no, 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 you need to finish what you started. You need to follow this through. And Jack's like, well, why? And his response is, because a leader can't lead if he doesn't know where he's going. Uh So, like, Locke is willing to completely give that up. But I I, I do feel like whether Jack thinks... I think it's a combination thing where Jack both views Locke as a potential threat, thinks he's a little weird, and also is sort of like, I'm the leader. Like, it's sort of like a dick measuring contest thing. Yeah. So he, he won't let it go. And you're starting to see, like, that get rolled out more, uh more in earnest towards the end of the season where Locke and Jack have like their big they they have like one big intense conversation every season it's like almost like my favorite part of every one of the seasons is when Jack and Locke have a throwdown. it's like the interrogation room scene in the Dark Knight it's that thing where like two people with completely different views of what's going on uh get real close to coming to blows over their opinions of it you know um I think it's like great it's like a chess game that you're watching throughout the series. And um, that that scene in this season deals a lot with Locke expressing that thing. Like, we fell out of the sky. We didn't get terribly hurt, you know. This place is strange. It's different. I feel like we were brought here. 
And the reason that you and I don't always see eye to eye is because you're a man of science and I'm a man of faith. And it like it starts, that's where that thing starts. And, and the more, I think Jack thinks that Locke might actually be crazy, you know, at times. Because he does live in such a very regimented, real world that it's hard for him to accept that things are weird. Yeah, but it's like... You have to unlearn a lot of the things that he learned. Right. Not you have to admit... I, I think, too, he doesn't want to admit that he doesn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like for somebody that lives that type of world, in that type of world, like, they don't want to say that they don't have the answers. Whereas Locke is more open to the idea that, like, of course I don't have the answers. Like, I, I am 100% here to learn, you know? And you can see that, like, even, like, in the last... Because he had that communion moment with the monster in episode four when the monster tries to attack them when they're, like, getting the dynamite to blow up the hatch, he, like, sets down his dynamite and then, like, starts walking towards the monster that's, like, ripping trees out of the ground and shit. And he, like, seems curious and, like, kind of excited to see his friend again. And then all of a sudden, like, (laughs) when he, like, the monster is, like, apparently coming towards them, we're kind of from, like, the monster's perspective, and you see Locke fall down, and, like, the last shot before they cut to commercial is, like, his face like slowly turning to terror like oh shit you know like Uh it's mad at me i stole its boar (laughs) you know um yeah i mean it's just like a i I like that relationship a lot jack and Locke. i feel like Locke really is trying to help but again it's like it's his curse he's never going to be accepted no matter what he does they were there was a kill Jack off the first episode, right? <laughs> you said Jack off. <laughs> that was I did say Jack. I'll say it again. Um, yeah, they were. Kill off Jack. Kill off Jack. Kill off Ron. Kill Jack Have off. the Jack Coke. John killed that Jack off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they were. Time. They originally had cast uh, Michael Keaton as Jack. Jesus, could you imagine? Yeah, and basically what what they had said. What, how he recalled it is that J.J. Abrams was like, hey, we're doing this show, right? And I have this idea, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in it. And uh, Michael Keaton was like, I don't want to do a show. And he was like, yeah, but you'd only be in the first episode. And Michael Keaton was like, okay, why? And he was like, because we're going to set you up to be the hero of it, right? And then in like the last 10 minutes, you're going to die. And then the audience is going to be like, holy shit, I thought that was the protagonist. And now that he's gone, it means anybody is anybody could die at any moment. Uh-huh. Like, it creates a very dangerous kind of situation. And um, I think they were going to do that. And then I think it was ABC was like, I feel like the audience is going to get mad. And I don't know that I would have... I don't know if I would have gotten mad. I think I would have been okay with it. Uh-huh. The only reason I would get mad is in retrospect, knowing how good of a character Jack winds up exactly. being... Uh, I would it would definitely feel like we're missing out knowing what they did with him however if if I had no attachment to Jack and they just were like haha we fooled you I, I wouldn't have been cheated I would have been like okay yeah that's fucking crazy I uh, hope nobody else dies you yeah. know that's funny I didn't really like the first episode upon first watch cause like you know they crash and then Jack just like goes from like person to person just you know saving everyone he gets down and all of a sudden like he saves one person and all of a sudden there's another thing and like he's putting yeah. all these like little fires there and I'm like this is cheesy this yeah. is dumb 
right? So, like, if they did that and then had him die at the end of the episode, that would have been interesting. Yeah. But, no, I agree. Yeah. You know, knowing when they went with Jack and the important part of the story that he plays, like, all the way through. Um, the only reason I would have been upset about it is if we had known that prior. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, in a parallel universe where Jack really isn't involved in the tail end of the show, I would have been fine with him being Michael Keaton and dying in the first episode. Would have been all right. But um, that being said, I'm kind of glad. Because when when that happened, when Michael Keaton was like, well, if you're turning him into, like, a series regular, then I'm out. You have to get somebody else. They were like, okay, well, we're going to take Matthew Fox, who we've cast as Sawyer, and we're going to put him in the role of Jack. And then they had to get another Sawyer and like Josh Holloway came in to read for the part and they were like Sawyer is a slick fast talking New York City con man and he was like okay and then he tried to do it and he was standing there and he's like focusing on not using his southern accent and then he wound up uh, forgetting his line and he couldn't remember it and he was like stammering and then he got mad and he like kicked a chair across the room and then he remembered his line, and then he said it in a southern accent. He, like, delivered it in a southern accent. And uh, he, like, left that audition. He was like, I fucking blew it, and I'm not, like, that sucked. I, I almost had it. And uh, they called him back, and they were like, you're cast. You're good to go. You're Sawyer. And they changed the backstory, and they were like, no, he's from the south. They did all of this stuff, and they didn't really tell him. So, like, they started doing the first episode, and the first episode doesn't deal with anything in flashbacks about who Sawyer is, right? So I guess, like, they went halfway through the season, halfway through the filming of the first scene that he was in. It was, like, halfway through the first day of shooting. And J.J. Abrams walked up to Josh Holloway, and he was like, Hey, I like what you're doing. It's good and everything. But are you trying to, like, cover up your accent? And Josh Holloway was like, Yeah. And he was like, Well, stop it. And he was like, What do you mean? And he was like, no, you're Southern. Like, let it, let it come out. Let it be, let it be a thing. Yeah. And uh, so I like I liked the process that they went through where, like, they were picking out things that were unique about the actors, you know. They're like, I like this person's energy, and I feel like this is something we can play with. So let's, let's use them for that, you know. Smart. Imagine passing up on Lost and seeing what it became, like, being Michael Keaton. Yeah, but I, Michael Keaton... Michael Keaton's weird. Like, he, he doesn't really want what other people want, I don't yeah. think. It's it's funny when you see him in a movie now because you know he really, really wants to be there. Yeah. Um, I don't think he, he disappeared from the spotlight for lack of offers. Yeah, I think yeah, he disappeared yeah. from the spotlight because there just wasn't anything that he was that interested in looking at, you know. But he's great. I've seen him, him in a couple of things the last few years, like Birdman and um, The Founder, which is about Ray Kroc and... McDonald's, fucking awesome. I don't think I've heard of that. The founder's excellent. Yeah, he plays Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc was like a traveling uh, milkshake machine salesman, and then he got an order for like, was it six mixers? It was six milkshake mixers from this one hamburger stand, and he was like, oh, "That's got to be a mistake." So he called him, and he was like, "Hi, it's uh, Ray Kroc from uh, Milkshake." machine salesman i got an order here for six milkshake machines that's got to be a mistake right the guy on the end of the phone was like yeah you're right it is and he was like okay i figured so how many do you actually need and he's like yeah make it eight and then he hung up and michael keaton was like you know what the fuck so he like 
took the time to actually like drive out to this hamburger stand and it's the first McDonald's and he sees like this entirely new way to serve fast food you know it's a, it's the original fast food like any other hamburger stand you like get a hamburger and it's like you gotta stand there wait for 15 minutes these people are like I would like a hamburger and a drink and they hand the money and then the person that takes the money gives them a bag and has their shit in it like it's crazy revolutionizes it and Ray Kroc is like holy shit this could be the next big thing and he basically starts like he's like we should franchise it we should franchise it and the two brothers that run it are like we don't know whether we're going to be able to like maintain the standards that the McDonald's name carries and Ray Kroc is like well let's try it out let's try it out and he keeps pushing 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 and finally they agree to it but Ray Kroc is a savvy businessman and kind of like not too far into their relationship he starts kind of doing like little power grabs here and there and uh you know if you look at it now it's like Ray Kroc was the CEO of McDonald's like he was the person in charge and it's like the McDonald's brothers had nothing to do with McDonald's it's an incredible story it's like the social network only about fast food chains yeah yeah, yeah it's amazing Netflix? It might be. It? I want to watch it. Though. Look on. Uh, sign into my Voodoo. Yeah. It's there. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's fucking great. But yeah, I mean, I love Michael Keaton. But I also have to say that like Matthew Fox, uh, he's awesome. I couldn't picture anyone else as Jack. Any of the characters. It's hard to imagine. Like even at one point that actor Forrest Whitaker was going to play Sawyer which is also weird yeah it's like Forrest fucking Whitaker like <laughs> that's like well, a totally out there choice yeah. um a different choice yeah. but yeah I uh he Matthew Fox plays like so many levels of emotion and like his like convictions and like the the way that he's he sticks to his guns and and his sort of like Jack is a character that, like, gets frustrated. And, like, the way that Matthew Fox plays the frustration in Jack is really strong. And uh, his arrogance at times is, like, hubris is, like, excellent, you know? It's always great to see him, like, kind of revel in, like, who he is. Actually, my favorite Jack moment in terms of that comes in the third season. And I can't wait to talk about it because it's to this day is one of the things that I've seen in a movie or television. And I was like, this is exactly the same fucking thing that I would have done 100%. Like every time it happens, like I remember the first time I saw it and it was like you took the words right out of my mouth. It was the fucking most brutal smackdown I had ever seen anybody do to anybody. And it was about something that was very, very serious. I feel like you've told me about this before, but I can't remember what part you're talking about. I'll I'll talk about. I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But it was fucking. It's fucking great. I always like the version of Jack where he just like thinks someone is full of shit. Happens a lot with Locke because he like doesn't believe him, (laughs) and like the way Jack acts when he thinks someone's full of shit, it's just it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He does. He has like Matthew Fox has this thing that like haunts him. It's uh, Jack face. And a lot of people will, like, take these still frames of him, like, expressing different emotions from the show. And he does make wild faces. Like, really over-the-top faces. But I don't feel like... I I feel like his performance feels kind of understated. But when you take, like, just the shots of his face in isolation, 
and like he'll do like a frown, but it isn't like a frown. It's like a super frown. Like he's like, <laughs> like everything is like all pulled down and shit, and like it, it's it's just amazing that like you know he does have so much like facial movement uh-huh. uh, while he's performing, but you don't really notice it until you slow it down and then when you slow it down it's like how many different faces did you make in like 10 seconds like <laughs> there's all different emotions flashing yeah. across your face like a strobe light uh-huh. yeah it's pretty amazing um yeah I mean the whole thing is just fantastic top to bottom Naveen Andrews plays Saeed who you you know he's a soldier Republican guard uh from Iraq and he, uh, but he also has like this kind of like romantic edge to them that they play with. Uh-huh. I kind of like that. He has like a different flavor than a lot of the other castaways. Yeah, um, Shannon. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. The Lost is fun. Like, first of all, all right, I'll, I'll say this right. Lost is kind of ahead of its time in terms of the inclusivity uh-huh. of the cast. Right? Like, they really did... They're like, well, it's an international flight from Sydney to Los Angeles, so we have an international cast. So we have characters who are Korean that, like, we don't understand what they're saying. Like, we do not know. They don't subtitle them, which is great. I love that, because it's immersive. I I don't know what Jin was saying. You know, I have no clue. Um, And then, you know, we have, you know, characters from the Middle East. We have quite a few characters from America because they're going back to from Australia to LA Um, we have characters from Britain you know we'll eventually have characters that are from Africa um, characters that are Spanish you know it really is like a multicultural thing and I like that and I also like that in the context of the show it's like what can we do in 2004 that will be kind of like shocking for people and it's like well you take this is a show about a plane crash a major plane disaster coming three years after 9-11 and they took Shannon who's like the Barbie doll you know all American girl and they have her romantically paired up with Saeed who's this you know Middle Eastern soldier and like I love that they do that I love that like Lost is really they really do challenge your perspectives of things and and it really like I think that I think that it's led to a place where maybe maybe like in my formative years watching Lost made me a better person because I don't I tend not to rush to judgment about people based on those things because I do recognize that, like, we all are unique individuals, that we're not the sum of, like, where we came from. And I, I think I always felt that way, but I also think that Lost really, like, trains you for that. Like, Lost trained me for a bunch of things. It trained me for, like, understanding stories, uh-huh. and it also trained me for understanding people, you know? Right, right. I think that that's, like, a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gift that Lost kind of gave us you know so that's one thing and then the other thing is i forgot how fucking funny lost is dude it's hilarious there are so characters many things are so fucking funny and just scenarios and shit that go down where like uh i don't know like they just are they really are like writing for the jokes 
you know, in, in, in some of those scenes. I think they know that, like, we're doing these big dramatic things and, and we have, like, a huge story with this mystery component that, that exists, but in order to keep people hooked in, we got to make them love the characters, and the easiest way to do that is to give them, like, humor, humor. you know? And, um... Like, I was surprised at how jokey it was, but I, I did like it. And even, like, as they're developing the Locke and Jack conflict, when they... They basically have to go out into the jungle to a place called the Black Rock, which we find out is a massive, like, almost like a pirate ship, like a slaving vessel that's out in the middle of the jungle. Middle of the island. Yeah. And on that ship, it was like a, it was a slaving ship that was en route to a mining colony, so they had dynamite on the ship. And when they go out there... Dynamite's super is is super volatile because in heat dynamite sweats nitroglycerin, as Doctor Arst explains to us. And then, as he's chastising them for the way that they're handling it, he's saying like, "We're only going to take a few sticks, and we're going to be." And then all of a sudden, the stick of dynamite that he's holding uh, explodes. Arst blows up, and hence that's the reason that people have Arst on them, which is what we were referencing earlier. Um, but then it's up like up to Locke and Jack to go back to the crate and start like gingerly taking out the dynamite that they need to blow open the hatch and as they're doing that um Locke is like talking strategy and he's like well I'm trying to take the driest pieces that I see you know to minimize the risk of any accidents and Jack's like okay yeah and then as Locke is reaching down to grab one of the six he's like you ever play Operation? Which in itself is a funny question to ask Jack because Jack's a spinal surgeon, you know? <laughs> and um, and Jack's like, yeah, yeah. And then Locke is like, I always got nailed on the funny bone. And as he's saying that, he's like just starting to whip the dynamite up and then all of a sudden he's like, Bzz! and Jack like jumps a mile and Locke just kind of like smiles a big like shit-eating grin. And but So like they do that and it's like a funny moment and then it's immediately followed by Jack like looking at Locke and being like, you like to play games, John? And John just looks up and still warmly smiling. Is like, of course, yeah. you know? And like, so there's like this tension. Like, it's really like, it's great the way that they do that. Like, it's like this comedy moment. You get a laugh, but then you're immediately drawn back into the idea that there's like this simmering rivalry that's going to be taking shape between the two of them. Uh-huh. It's good. That show whiplashes you back and forth between a lot of different emotions, and it does it masterfully, you know? It's very intriguing. Well, it's funny. It lost... lost it lost. A, I feel like it lost like a good portion of viewers after the first season because of the direction it went. And I'm like... I don't understand. So you have the first season that's just so good. Oh. You have this first season that's so good. It's like, why not give it a shot and see where it goes. You know the quality of writing. I know it's not going the direction you want, but you know, I think a lot of the people got drawn in for like the whole like island survival thing when they found out there's more to it. They were like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Like a lot of people stopped watching and it's like you missed out. Yeah. On a on a very, very good series. Yeah. Because this is something stupid. Yeah. And I mean when you think about like a lot of people are like, yeah well it would have been nice if they answered any of the mysteries and it's like they answered like almost everything. Like there's like two or three things that are left hanging that apparently weren't important to understanding the show. And we haven't gotten to them, but one of them is like the cabin has absolutely no reason for being there. Uh-huh. Um, 
But everything else I feel like is there. Like, if you watch the show, you get the answers. But there's a lot of people that claim Lost doesn't deliver on its, like, initial promises. But it's like, well, did you watch the show? And they go, no. So it's like, well, how the fuck do you know? You don't know. It's like the you question that they raised in season one might not get answered until season three or four. Right. Yeah, you got to hold on for a little while. But no, I mean, I, I, you know, it is a super impressive show. You know, it's a, it's like a tour de force in terms of emotionality and you know what they what they put together is just uh, incredible. And I really do feel like up until that point, like you know, big shows were like Law and Order, which were episodic. There was Twenty Four on Fox that was like, okay, here's here's a, a story that takes place over one day. And all the episodes are linked because it's all taking place over one day. But at the end of that, that season, that day gets shelved. And then the next time they do it, they start a new day. And it has nothing to do with the last day. So, again, it feels episodic, right? This is the first show that ever felt like it was like we are telling one story. Beginning, middle, end, right? And what's amazing to me is that that birthed like the golden age of television in my opinion i mean you had you had long form stories on things like uh hbo um which again hbo max wonderful service i don't own stock in at&t um they uh it's a wonderful uh, they they had shows like the sopranos right now the sopranos is like basically a character study a long drawn out character study of a mobster in new jersey but it doesn't have, like, a central question that it's working towards. Like, you, you tune in and you watch The Sopranos because you want to know what's going to happen to Tony. That's it. You know? You're just curious. Um, Lost is the first show that ever said, hey, we have something that we're working towards, and you're going to want to keep watching the show to find out what we're doing. Right? This is, like, how, like, Breaking Bad started. You know what I mean? Like, that's the same method. Breaking Bad, it was like, we're taking Mr. Chips and we're turning him into Scarface. You're going to want to see how that happens. Yeah. You know? And that shit was new to television as far as I'm concerned. Lost is the first show that was ever like, we have a plan and we are going to execute the plan and you should join us because it's going to be good. You know? It really... There are so many shows that we owe... Like, if anything is on right now like started in the last decade that you like it's because of lost you know it's yeah. amazing they really did change things yeah 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 i can see that it influenced the way television was made yeah i mean production values and like acting quality like a lot of people don't remember like how many awards lost one for performances like there are a lot of emmy winners in that cast because it's just so fucking good like nobody else was out out acting them at the time you know and they didn't i don't think they had i mean the first season of prison breaks great like legitimately great um and that's probably the closest thing to actual competition that they had on television uh like in the immediate aftermath of their show launching and then you don't see another one like you don't see another show that people talk about consistently like that until Breaking Bad in 2008 so it's like a full four years before any other company any other studio is like alright we have something that can stand up you know and people will go like I'm not here to talk about like 
what shows better necessarily. I, I do feel like Lost is doing something for the first time. So it's a little bit more ramshackle. It's a little bit more like, well, we don't know what works necessarily. We think this is going to be okay, right? Breaking Bad has the benefit of having watched another series do character development, you know, and do that stuff long form. And I think that it did... I do feel like they had a leg up in that way, and I do think that there's, like, slightly more polish on Breaking Bad. But it's like... It's so hard to compare those things. Like, they're so good. They're all so good in so many different ways. Um, but I do just... I, I look at the... I look at the television landscape, and it's hard to imagine we'd be in the same spot today without Lost. You know? Yeah. I agree with that. It really is, like, an incredible... Incredible journey, and, like, it's getting back into it... It is. It is. And I think, like, getting back into this, you know, has been really, really fun, you know? I really, um, I look forward to continuing on with it, you know? And and looking at it again, knowing everything that we know and having additional perspective and, you know, all of that stuff is going to be fun. It's always a good time for watching Lost. Yeah. It doesn't get old. I think there was one time that I started a rewatch and it was like only a year later and I was like, eh, well, maybe not. Yeah. It wasn't the right time. But that's a that's a me problem, not a show problem. You know, it is an excellent, excellent show. Uh-huh. All right, man. Uh, I think we're going to wrap this up. I got to go to the bathroom. These Jack and Cokes are going right through me. So I'm going to say my goodbyes now. Okay, yeah. We can and, do that. Uh, I'm going to get up and, you know, we'll see you all next time. Yeah. Yeah, this was really fun. I can't wait to get back into, like, I can't do the next episode of uh, the season. I feel like maybe we'll try to do every month. It's good for this. Give us enough time to, like, comfortably watch a season. We don't have to, like, rush through it. Then we're good to go. I know this one snuck up on us a little bit, so we kind of had to rush. Um, So I feel like having a month buffer gives us time to, like, watch the show and, you know, absorb everything that they're doing. Because it is dense. This is a dense show. Yeah. Well, all right. But. Good Thanks to go. Listen, everyone. I'm going to say my goodbyes now. Ron's going to take it from here. Yep. I'm just going to get my seatbelt. Yep. And I'm headed up to the bathroom. All right. Yeah. So that, yeah, that pretty much does it, guys, for this week's episode of WT Fada. I uh, don't know what we're doing next week, but I'm excited. We're going to have uh, probably some nice stories to talk about uh, beautiful Ireland. I've never been, I think... John has been once before. I'll ask him when he gets back. But, uh, yeah, I'm very uh, very excited to check it out. And, yeah, thank you guys for listening. All right? Bye, guys. Love you. Okay, um, so, guys, there's something, there's something going down right now on the plane. And I don't know. Uh, John hasn't come back from the bathroom. And I don't. Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. We're going down. And I don't, I, thank you again. Thank you for listening to WT Fada. We should be back next week. Oh, God. Ah! Ah! If you're enjoying WT Fada and you want to bring it with you on the go, well, there's a place for that. It's called ROIN-III-ART. Dot redbubble 
www.wtfautomerchandise.com. You can head over there. We have all the WT Fauta merchandise you could ever want in the WT Fauta collection. Um, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, a lot of stuff that I'm very happy with, very pleased with. Um, and a few new designs that have been added since last week um, that I'm very excited about. So check them out. Especially, I, I especially like uh, WT Fauta podcast. You've uh, tried the rest. Now try the mediocreist. Pretty proud of that. And from what I've seen, you and what the hell is his name? <laughs> Sawyer. Sawyer.